When was the last event, experience that you had that took your breath away? Has it happened recently? Or do you have to really think back to the last time that you were amazed, that you were filled with wonder? Now, the passage that was read to us in Isaiah makes a statement that is incredibly important that we want to hang on to. It says that the whole earth is filled with God's glory. That means every nation, every topography, the oceans, the mountains, the cities. Everywhere we go, God's glory is there. But perhaps the problem is we've stopped looking for who He is and what He is doing. When we stop looking for God, our wonder begins to shrivel and die. And so my prayer for us as a church and as individuals is that God would open up our eyes and our hearts afresh that we may see Him. If we were to be able to go back in time and be there with Isaiah, we would find some things that are pretty common to our day. If Isaiah could have have turned on his television or the internet and watched CNN or BBC or um, listened on the radio, the events going on would have sounded somewhat similar to what we face today. There was corruption. There was... Tragedy, difficulty, there was a great deal of uncertainty because the king had died and so there was a lot of political turmoil uh, and anxiety going on. And yet in the midst of what was tragic and difficult, Isaiah sees the Lord. Now, I want you to understand that that is the greatest pursuit that you and I could ever go after. The greatest treasure we could ever find would be to have an encounter with the Lord. If we were to think of what's the most important thing that I could live my life for, what is the treasure that I want to seek, it would be, at least for me, to truly have an encounter with the God of the universe, to see Him for who He truly is, And be blown away by his wonder. Now the scripture gives us some really important things. Because did you know that God invites us to seek his face? Psalm 27 verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And then in Jeremiah 29, he promises that if we seek him with all that we are, we will find him. He says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So God asks us to seek him and he promises that if we seek him with all that we are, He's going to show up. Now here's the question that really is what everything that we will say today and explore today is all about. Do we believe that? 
Do we believe that if we really seek God with all of our heart, we will meet him? We may or may not have a vision or an experience that is the same as Isaiah's, but his promise is if we seek him with all that we are, we'll find him. We'll discover who he is. We'll discover that he's interested in us, that he cares about us, that he has a plan and a purpose for our life. We see there in Jeremiah that there's a connection between the plan. Most of the time when that verse is quoted, it's quoted alone. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for a future and a hope. Great verse. But what is that plan? That plan is for you to see him. It's not the plan for your career. He has one of those. It's not the plan for your relationships and your family. He has a plan for those. But his ultimate plan for you and I is to see him. But is that what we're willing to seek? Are we willing to seek with our whole heart and discover that God is far more than we ever imagined? That he is truly the greatest, greatest treasure in all the world. Too often times in our experience, we begin seeking the Lord to know him, and then religion comes in and takes over. We begin to get caught up in a pattern of, of doing and, do, and do's and don'ts. But understand that rules will never fill the emptiness within us. God designed them and they're important. They give us an understanding of how far short we fall. But his goal for our life, his purpose is for us to connect and meet with him and see who he is. This is the reason why Jesus Christ came. He fulfilled all of the law, all of the rules, all the things that you and I could never live up to. Not just so that we could get a get out of hell free card, but so, you know, kind of like playing Monopoly in jail. It wasn't just for that. It was so we could know him. You go, Roger. All right. The great blessing of the scripture is in, in the Old Testament, they, they would say, um, may the Lord bless you and keep you and may he make his face shine upon you. The great hope of all of the scripture is to have a face-to-face encounter with the very presence of God. That's why Jesus came, is to allow us into his presence and allow us to get to know him. Now, with that, there are some requirements. There's some things that happen. We see in Isaiah that when he encounters God for who he truly is, he's ruined. He's undone. He recognizes that he himself is unworthy. That's why he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Everything I say, everything that comes into me and everything that goes out of me in and of itself isn't worthwhile. But God is the one who can take that which is holy and give it to us. That's the picture that we see when the, the angel goes and takes the coal from the altar and he touches the lips of Isaiah. He's saying, I am making you clean because I, God, am the one who can purify you. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. It is a word picture of what faith in him does. It allows us into the presence of God because we discover that he is holy. But here's something I want you to, to, to hold on to. In our lives, holiness is a character first and a conduct second. 
It is when we encounter the holiness of who God is and allow him to begin to transform who we are, then our conduct changes. Not the other way around. We do not try to do works and conduct in such a way to make ourselves holy so that God will accept us. We can't live up to the measure, but God did it for us. This is what we see here in Isaiah. Now, we're going to take a look at this vision and spend just a few minutes exploring it. But I want to share a brief story of a friend of mine that I, that I hope will help connect with us. A few years ago, I did a funeral for a man. His name was Richard, Richard Flavinger. And when I had met Richard, um, he was already 92 years old. So he was pretty advanced in age. And he was one of the most amazing people I had ever met. He had a love and a heart for God that just overflowed. He lived in an assistant living um, facility and he was like a light whenever he walked into the room for everybody else that lived there. In a place where, you know, you got all the kind of not so pleasant smells and there's discouragement and depression and, you know, people, their bodies are breaking down. Oftentimes their, their minds are not as sharp as they once were. Richard would come into the room and everything would light up. But Richard told me that that was because God had done something six months before that changed him. He told me when he was eight years old, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He trusted him. But for 84 years, he tried to do things in his own power, just trying to do the right thing. He would go to church. He would teach Sunday school. But he didn't really have an intimate connection with God himself. But six months before his death, something changed. He began to take what the scriptures said and said, God has invited me to seek his face. I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to see if I really can know God for who he is. Not just these things. Things that I have in my mind, but see what his word reveals. And God began to reveal himself to Richard and changed him. He came to know Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord, as friend, as intimate connection, as someone who truly was with him and his Holy Spirit filled him and he was transformed. That is the, the experience that every believer is designed to have. And if we're not having that experience, it is not because God isn't going far enough because he went all the way to the cross for you and I. It is because we have stopped looking. So today I urge you to keep looking. Ask God to restore your sense of wonder. Let's look at this, this passage. At the vision... Uh, of the Holy Lord of Lords. Let me read um, just uh, the first three verses again. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord. And I want you to notice what he saw. Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, or high and exalted, your translation may say, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, what is it that he sees? Notice he doesn't describe what God looks like. He describes the setting. 
But maybe the first question we should ask is, who does he see? Because we notice at the end of the verses that that Sherry read for us, it it tells us God is speaking back to Isaiah and he says, "Um, whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? So it tells us there in in the context that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are present. But who is it that Isaiah sees? Well, if we were to look in the book of John, in John chapter 12, verse 41, there's, there's a little bit of a parenthesis where the Apostle John, who is perhaps the, the person who um, maybe is closest, at least during that, the, the time when Jesus is on the earth, closest to understanding who he truly is of any of the disciples, he puts in a parenthesis where he's quoting from Isaiah about the hardness of the religious leaders and why they are rejecting Jesus Christ. And he says this in chapter 12, verse 41. He says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. That him, in the context, tells you he's speaking about Jesus Christ. Here on this throne is Jesus He's not seeing him as the suffering servant. He's seeing him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's seeing a glimpse and a picture of who he is. He sees Jesus Christ on the throne. And and what we have here are are a number of things that, that help us get an understanding of what God is like. First of all, the throne itself reveals God's power. He sees Jesus Christ not pacing back and forth, not nervous about whether or not what he says is going to make any sense like I am right now. Did you know that's why I pace? It's just like every step is, Lord, don't let me mess up. Please don't don't let me blabble like I tend to. He's not filled with anxiety. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne because he is in absolute control. That is a promise to you and I. We see in the New Testament a glimpse both in in Colossians and in Hebrews where we see that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and that there in His hand is a scepter which signifies His authority that He is in control. This means that we can trust Him no matter what we face. No matter how much your life feels like it is falling apart, Jesus Christ is on the throne and is in control. His power is absolute. We have nothing to fear. And I understand this is a contrast because um, politically, we just read that King Uzziah died. So the, the king of God's people, the human king, that throne is empty. The throne of David. But Jesus Christ is on the throne. You see, no matter what we face in our, in our nations, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at my nation and I really wonder, what are we thinking? You know, I mean, what is going on, you know, especially politically? Won't go there, but I really wonder, you know, how did we get here? Because it seems so out of control. But God is in control. And he's the one we can rest in. He's the one we rely on. Secondly, we see his position. It says he is high and lifted up. He is exalted. Now, 
this phrase, high and lifted up, occurs three times in the, in the scripture. The first time is here, and it's very significant each time that it's used. The second time that it is used is found in Isaiah chapter 52, and it says this about Jesus. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Isaiah must have remembered the picture of Jesus Christ on the throne. Because when he begins to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who would die in our place, he begins by reminding us that he already is high and lifted up. This is his true identity. And the very next verse, in verse 14, it talks about what he looks like. As in this vision, he is seeing Jesus as he is approaching and going to the cross. Verse 14, right after he's high and lifted up, it says, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations." Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. He begins to see Jesus both as the high and lifted up one and Jesus who because he is beginning to bear the punishment and brutality of of wearing our sin is almost unrecognizable. He goes on in the next chapter to say that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The God who was on the throne in Isaiah's vision is the one who stepped onto the earth, lived a perfect life, And willingly died as a sacrifice for you and I. So that we could come to God. He is high and lifted up. That is his position. He was lifted up on a cross. For all to see that God himself had bore our sin and shame. The scripture tells us that God the Father has given him a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. The third and final time that that phrase, high and lifted up, that position is illustrated, is found in Isaiah 57 verse 15. And it puts the two pictures together. On the throne and the suffering servant. Verse 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, the one on the throne. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, who is humble, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Do you see his promise? He's he's saying, I want to dwell with you. I not only want you to seek my face, I've not only come and saved you, I want us to be together. If you'll humble yourself, 
If you'll trust me to take care of the barrier between you and me, if you'll place your trust in what Christ has done and seek me with all that you are, you'll find me. That's his promise. Now, thirdly, we have his robe. His robe represents his presence. Now, I want you to notice what it says. It says the train, the part that that comes back from from the the bottom and the cape, as it were, of his robe, does what? What what did it say? Fills the temple. Okay? It's not just big. It fills every part of the temple. It covers over all the temple. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because where does the Scripture reveal that the temple of God is right now? We're the temple. This means that He has placed His robe over you and I. His presence over us. No matter whether or not we deserve it, because we don't. He's saying, if you place your trust in me, I'm spreading the garment of my righteousness over you. That's the picture that we have here when we come to the communion, to the Lord's Supper, is that His blood was shed for our forgiveness and His body was given for our life because He has covered us with His presence, with His royal robe. And He says, you are mine. That's why He's inviting us to the table. In, in the communion, we come and, and we, we see in the, in the cup and in the bread wedding vows where God is saying, um, I will be your God and you will be my people. And these are pictures of the vows of what God has done for us and he's inviting us into his presence. You see, all these symbols, all these things come to the same point. He's saying, seek me because I want you to know me. I want you to come and experience my presence. He goes on in Isaiah It not only fills fills that, but it says that above him stood these angels, these seraphim. And notice they don't look like the angels that we see on our our flat, the outside door. There's a little cupid with with the heart and the arrow pointed. I laugh at it every time that I see it because it's just so silly. That is not what an angel looks like. An angel, I mean, if you're going to think more of an angel, you should think more in the ter- terms of special forces, you know? They're mighty. I mean, they're, they're spirit beings, so really any kind of physical description is, doesn't quite work. But what we see here is, is a glimpse of who they are and what they're like. And it says that they have these six wings with two they cover their face because they are humble before the holy presence of God. With two, they cover their feet because they're, they're, they're understanding that it's not about them. If we were to see them, we would be like John in the book of Revelation. We would fall down and be tempted to worship them because they are, they are um, seraphim means burning one. It's like, I'm going to mispronounce this because now I'm self-conscious of it. It's like they're this nuclear, is that the right way? <laughs> Nuc- yeah, if it's not... Just pretend like I said it the right way. They're like this atomic burning brightness and brilliance of light. And yet they're not the ones we worship. They worship God. With two wings they fly. And they're singing this song, Holy, 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 which simply means perfection times perfection times perfection 
is God. They could have said loving, loving, loving. They could have said magnificent, magnificent, magnificent. But God is absolutely holy in his character. And they're announcing it. And it's almost like there's these, they're, they're doing it in an antiphonal style, singing back and forth because they're getting caught up in the presence of God. But then in their song, they say the whole earth is filled with his glory. And that's where I began. If I'm not seeing the wonder of God, it is not because he is not here and not doing things. It is because I have chosen to so focus on my circumstances, on my unrealized dreams, on myself, that I've ceased to look and search for the wonder of who God is. This vision is recorded for us to understand a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is. But it's also to be an inspiration to seek God's face. The seraphim reveal a right response to a vision of God's glory, humble worship and obedience. They bow down and serve the Lord. Verse 4. After they had sung their song, it says, And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was transformed. Everything else that he writes in the rest of the book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit flows out of this encounter. But church, what I want to tell you, God wants you to see him. He wants you to know Him. Would you begin to make it the prayer of your heart that God would reveal Himself to you? That's why He's given us His Word. And next week, I'm going to give you some very practical tools about how to begin seeking the Lord. In fact, in your, in your bulletins today, there's, there's a, just some instructions about uh, seeking the Lord, waiting on the Lord, just some prompts to, to get you started. But you know, this is not something that a sermon can do for you or for me. It is a pursuit that God has invited us into individually. And so, it's up to you to choose what are you going to do. Is God worth enough to you to seek Him? If not, you're missing out. Because the other things that you try to fill your life with will never, ever satisfy. You cannot put finite things in an infinite hole. He is the only one, the one who is infinite, who can fill that longing that is deep within us. And his promise, his invitation is, in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
We're going to go into a time of, of sharing of the Lord's Supper, the communion. And as you take of the bread, which represents Jesus, he said on the, the last night before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, this bread is my body, which is given for you. It speaks of his sacrifice, of willing to give all that he is for you and I. And he invites us to eat it because it, it's a representation that we are to take Jesus Christ in. We are to trust him. And the cup represents his blood. He said, this cup is my blood. It is the new covenant and it is poured out for the forgiveness of many. He shed his blood to forgive our sins so that we, through him, could come into God's presence. You see, it's appropriate that the symbol ultimately is a table because he's inviting us to sit down together at his table. In fact, the picture that we see in Revelation of the marriage supper of the Lamb is that great reunion when Christ returns that all believers will come into his presence and we will share a meal together with God himself. So as you partake, as you take the bread and the cup, would you ask God to restore your sense of wonder, your sense of awe? And would you ask him to show you how to pursue him, how to seek him with all that you are? If we can help in that, if we can pray together with you, we're happy to do that. If we can give you encouragement, if you have questions, if it doesn't make sense to you, just seek me out. Send me an email, give me a call. We can sit down together And we can work through it. But that's his invitation. We have a God who is continually saying to us, come. Come to my table. Come to my presence. Come and seek me. Because if you seek me, you will find me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, there's so much more here than than I can even begin to to understand, let alone communicate. Lord, I pray that you would speak into the gap, into the hearts and minds of people here. Lord, there are those here that do not yet know you. They they may know things about you, but they've never trusted you. They've never given their heart and said, Lord, I'm yours. I want to know you. And there's others, Lord, that maybe they've had that. They know you as Savior, but there's still a gap. Much like what Richard experienced, what I've experienced. Lord, would you draw us into your presence? Lord Jesus, as we share of the bread and the cup, we thank you. Thank you that you gave your life, that your body was offered as a sacrifice for us. Thank you that your blood was poured out to forgive us and cleanse us. Thank you, Lord, that you cover us with your righteousness so that we may come into your presence. We worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name.